This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, with so much on the line for the state's budget in the coming years, many are saying we need a different approach to funding not only the economic recovery, but also the transition to a green economy over the coming decades. One of those voices is State Senator Bob Hasegawa, who is advocating for a public or state bank. He joins us today for a cogent and very nuts and bolts discussion about how and why a public bank is needed right now. I hope you'll stay with us. We are with Senator Bob Hasegawa. In this year's legislative session, he introduced the Washington Investment Trust Bill, which would create a public bank. Uh, And since he is running unopposed this year, he is using his time and platform to promote the creation of a public bank for our state. And so uh, he's here to tell us a little bit more about it. Senator Hasegawa, welcome. It's nice to see you. Well, thanks, Stefan. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this with your listeners. So here's where I want to start. This is a big topic, and I will just confess that I do not have a head for finance. So I'm hoping that we can break it down so that people like me can understand. So let's just start brass tacks. What is a public bank and how does it work? So it's not rocket science, and people try to make it seem much more complicated than it actually is. In fact, if you've watched It's a Wonderful Life and seen Jimmy Stewart try to defend uh, the purpose of his bank, it's not any more difficult than that. So, in fact, I have a link to that in the chat. (laughs) (laughs) For visual reference, great. (laughs) At any rate, um, right now, just the state and every public entity, just like we as individuals, uh, need someplace to keep our money unless we want to keep it under our mattress, which is not the best idea. So the state's banker right now is a big Wall Street bank, as it usually is. It's U.S. Bank is our current banker. Normally, the state puts our banking services up for contract every five or six years. And curiously, there's only ever one bidder on it. And so it seems like they've sort of divvied up the public finance marketplace because previous to U.S. Bank bidding on it last time, it was Bank of America was our banker because they were the only bidder. And then prior to them, it was Wells Fargo because they were the only bidder. So we've changed banks successively along this path. So when this treasurer collects all of our tax revenue, the treasurer deposits it in our bank account. That means that Wall Street banks, our Wall Street banker, gets to use our tax dollars and leverage it out into whatever cockamamie uh, money-making schemes, um, derivatives, or whatever to make money for themselves in the meantime. And we don't have a say in the way that they invest the money. Oh, no, no, no. They, They get to use our money however they want to. And in the meantime, if we want to finance... Um say a school or a road or whatever, we have to go back to Wall Street and essentially sell bonds, which is like taking out a mortgage. You know how much it costs to take out a mortgage, right? If we sell a billion dollars worth of bonds, it costs us about two to $3 billion, depending on the terms of the bond, over the next 25 to 30 years by the time we've paid it back, which is, I guess, okay in an emergency situation if we need revenue right now. But bonding is our normal public financing strategy now. So if we want to build anything, we always go back to the bond market. So we keep piling bonds on top of bonds every, well, however often the treasurer sells it, which is probably whenever it's needed. 
we write a capital budget that's good for two years. And the last capital budget budget provided for about two and a half billion dollars worth of bond sales. Well, so just I just want to make sure that I understand what you're saying here. Basically, you're saying that in, in, in our current model, what we're doing is we are paying money to Wall Street to essentially borrow our own money. Am I getting that right? Exactly. OK, <laughs> exactly. Well, so then let me ask you this. You mentioned that this money would come. This pool of money would come from the taxpayer money that is currently used by the state treasurer to invest. Um, can other entities participate or is it just taxpayer money that we're talking about here? Well, the bill that we have drafted uh, right now, it, it sets up a cooperative public bank model, which allows for cities, counties, port districts, other political subdivisions of the state to also participate, not just as equity owners, but also as users of the bank. Okay. So let's talk about this in practice then. So you have said that a public bank, if we were going to use it to, say, uh, finance infrastructure, you mentioned schools, uh, you've Mm -hmm. said that a public bank would increase our capacity to finance infrastructure. How so? Well, that's the beauty of banking. See, banks get to use a different type of bookkeeping system, so to speak. Because a loan is actually an asset to a bank. If they lend out money, it's considered an asset. So say you capitalize a bank with a billion dollars, okay? But if it's the depository for all of our tax revenue as well, then that investment that we put into the bank leverages out to be the capacity of the amount of deposits you have up to safely 10 times. So in other words... Say we capitalized a bank with a billion dollars, but it was also the depository for all of our tax revenue. That $1 billion safely leverages out to $10 billion worth of lending capacity. That's how it drastically increases our capacity to finance uh, much needed infrastructure maintenance and and development, let alone uh, think about building great things like high-speed rail, maybe, or converting our um, energy system into a more sustainable, renewable base, uh, financing that conversion. Since you bring that up, um, that is going to require a massive investment to to bring our state, to transition the state to a green economy by 2045. A public bank will actually scale to that level? Depends on how big, how much, because I said you can leverage that equity investment up to 10 times safely, right? So if it's more than $10 billion to do something like that, then it's it's a judgment call on how far do you want to leverage it. Public banks, though, are different than commercial banks in many different ways. Number one is the mission that it operates on. Its mission is public benefit-based as opposed to shareholder benefit-based. And it's backed by the um, people of the state. So in other words, when you really think about it, a public bank can't go bankrupt because it's always got taxing authority to back it up. Of course, that's not something you'd ever want to do. That's why you have to follow standard banking practices, established banking practices, complete with all the transparency and auditing and all of that that goes with that. But Realistically, so there's a, uh, some skepticism. There was a, not skepticism. There's a question about why are we not wanting to be FDIC insured? Right. The FDIC, they only insure up to $250,000, our account. Our, the way that the treasurer assembles our 
money, when he deposits it at U.S. Bank, I say he because currently it's a he, but we call it the state's consolidation account or concentration account. So all the different monies that the treasurer collects goes into this one account at U.S. Bank called the concentration account. That account is only insured up to $250,000. And we're talking about a, a $54 billion biennial budget, right? So yes, that money is guaranteed probably more than $250,000 because those banks are considered too big to fail. So it's us, the taxpayers, that end up bailing that bank out anyway. So... So it's ironic, ultimately, that our money is safer than uh, in a public bank model. Uh, totally, because it's accountable back to the people. It's not accountable back to some crazy uh, derivative profit-making schemes. You know, their mission is to maximize profit. Our mission is to maximize benefit for the people of the state. Well, let's talk about some of the ways in which you have seen this work. Are there other states that have implemented this, and, and how is it working for them? Actually, there's only one state that has implemented it. It's the Bank of North Dakota, of all places, probably one of the most conservative states in the country. But if you talk to anybody from North Dakota, they will. In fact, I have a link that I also gave to you of an interview that I did of some North Dakota students who I ran across in a restaurant in Seattle. And I asked them if I could just video interview them. They all knew about their state bank because they had all had their student loans through the state bank. Not only did they have their stu student loans there, but their parents had their student loans there who were with them on this tour, and all of their professors had had their student And they all love this. What state agency can you say that about where everybody knows about it, number one, and then loves it, number two? Why do you think that it was so successful? As you say, you know, North Dakota is, is the last place that you would suspect a state bank uh, would take off. It's a, it's a deeply red conservative state. North Dakota, you should... I have another link for the Bank of North Dakota website because they have a, a really interesting history. They were first established, it, it just celebrated its 100th anniversary, by the way. So um, back in the, the day, in the progressives era, people were so upset with both the Democrats and the Republicans because they felt they were all in the corporation's back pockets. So they voted everybody out and voted in this third party uh, known as the Nonpartisan League. And that Nonpartisan League, it didn't last very long, but these institutions that they established remain. And to this day, for instance, the Bank of North Dakota just issued their um, 2019 annual statement a couple months ago. They reported their 16th consecutive year of record profits, well, returning 18.6% return on equity. 18.6% is unheard of by any investment standard like the state investment board. Our state investment board invests all of our pension fund money. And I'm not saying that we should redirect the pension money, so don't get me wrong, but I'm just using this as an example. They are considered one of the best investment boards in the country, and they target 65 to 7% annual rate of return. Bank of North Dakota just paid almost 19% three times more than what uh, our best in the country state investment board is targeting. But that 16th consecutive year means that during the Great Recession, it was still making record profits because what it was doing was 
reinvesting back in the people. It wasn't investing in all these collapsing bubbles that were happening out there. So the, the biggest benefit right now in this down economy of a public bank is that they are counter-cyclical to the economy. Whereas commercial banks are cyclical. When the economy goes down, they tighten credit up because they're not so sure that borrowers can actually pay their loans back, right? So that's why interest rates keep dropping and they're trying to get more people to be able to qualify for loans. It's tightening up. Public banks, on the other hand, are counter-cyclical. When the economy goes down, they can create all this credit on their books to keep the economy chugging along. So small businesses actually have access to credit in hard times because we're going to get through the hard times. And uh, that's the main benefit at this point in time for a public bank is to get us through our economic crisis. Uh, I should mention that you are the vice chair of the Financial Institutions Economic Development and Trade Committee. Uh, How did you personally get interested in this? Um, It's always been one of those, I come from a a pretty left-leaning background. You know, I was a labor organizer. I was the head of the Teamsters Union here for about a decade, just shy of a decade. Um, But, you know, a lot of these programs that benefit society have always tumbled around in the back of my mind. But then when the Great Recession hit, that was an opportunity to really push this out front. So I've actually been working on this for the last over 10 years now, just trying to educate the public as I'm doing here and uh, talking it up as much as possible, talking with my colleagues. Um, I've had a bill dropped on this every year since 2010, I think, was the first year that I actually dropped the bill on it. So it's been about 10 years. And so with this iteration, the Washington Investment Trust Bill, uh, I believe 5995, uh, if I am remembering correctly, uh, what is the status of that bill? And what do you think it's going to take to push it up and over in in next session? Well, there, there's a difference of opinion amongst myself and some of my colleagues who are actually supporters of a state bank. Uh, they do not, some a couple of my colleagues, and we need to have 25 votes to pass a bill off the Senate floor. So I've had to make some concessions myself in what the bank can do. But in order to get those votes, I've had to concede that number one, it would only finance public infrastructure. So it could not benefit, it would not be able to benefit us actually uh, to support small businesses and that sort of thing through this economic crisis, nor would it allow us to benefit, say, student loans. And Though and I imagine sort. it's your hope that eventually it would. I'm hoping that, yes. Well, So then how do you see the bill's chances for uh, passage in, in 2021? I think that we have really no choice. Uh, We have no public financing options right now short of raising more taxes or cutting the budget, which is unacceptable uh, because it's already it was stripped down after the Great Recession. And we had never recovered on many of the social programs after the Great Recession. So that I mean, you see income inequality uh, just everywhere you turn your head and more people on the streets, homeless and you know, there's a huge need out there and we have no capacity to finance anything. And our only tools, the only levers we have to pull are raising revenue, which undoubtedly would be a regressive tax or cutting the budget 
We could take a look at clawing back some of the corporate tax breaks, uh, but we should first look to make sure that they're not just giveaways to the, to the corporations. If they're a giveaway, we should clock back. If it's actually providing a net benefit to the people, then we should probably keep it. Or we can sell bonds, which we can't do because we are bouncing off our debt capacity. Remember how I say we go bond every year? Well, the Constitution has a constitutional debt limit, and we've been bouncing off that debt limit for as long as I can remember. So we don't really have the bond capacity or the scale to even sell bonds, nor should we really, because all we're doing is providing all this free profit for Wall Street. So this is a, a public bank is the only new level we have to pull, and it does so much more than just increasing our public financing capacity. It's a new source of revenue without raising taxes. I mean, that's like the holy grail of public finance, raise new revenue without raising taxes. Absolutely. 100 percent agreed. So as I mentioned at the top, you are running unopposed this year. And so you are taking your your time, your capital to help uh, promote the idea of a, a state bank. So you are talking to a, a very motivated group of activists here through this show. Uh, how can we help you? Well, you can pass a model resolution. I'm also doing a, a public banking town hall, virtual town hall on September 30th at 7 p.m. It's it's gonna the purpose of this town hall is to just just show broad-based support. So uh, we have electeds from all around the state who are going to be on a panel to talk about public banking. You know, the, the county executive of Whatcom County to the former county treasurer of Spokane County to a Spokane City Council member to a Seattle City Council member to a Port of Seattle commissioner to a King County council member, uh, all these different people are going to be just talking about it. And uh, I'll also be having um, an assembly member from California who has been uh, highly responsible for getting California's bill passed. California passed a bill last fall that allows um, up to 10 California cities to establish their own public banks. And then, so those cities, many of the cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, San Diego, you name it, they were all working on this and then COVID hit. So kind of threw cold water on their effort. Uh, so their California is going to be dropped. They did drop another bill near the end of session. So they didn't have time to go through the process, but it was to make the statement that next session, they're going to be looking at a bill to allow the state of California to create its own state bank. And the, by the way, the governor of New Jersey, uh, Philip Murphy got elected with a public bank as a cornerstone of his platform. And so he's in the process of setting one up for the state of New Jersey now. And I don't know whether this is a pro or con in favor of the effort, but he's a former uh, Goldman Sachs C-suite executive, is taking that knowledge to public fi- uh, the public financing arena in New Jersey. I mean, it's, it's not one of these like wild, crazy ideas. It's just sound public finance, best use of the taxpayers' dollars for the benefit of the people. It sounds like it's gaining broad appeal, and uh, we certainly would like to help in that capacity. And we certainly thank you for your time. I appreciate you uh, breaking down some of the the more complex aspects of this. Uh, Senator Bob Hasegawa, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Stefan. And we will also have information about how you can create a model resolution and also about the virtual town hall that Senator Hasegawa mentioned. You, of course, can find that at indivisiblepodcast.org. 
And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Amanda Eichelberger. Thanks also this week to Catherine Fysears. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.